You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you at the right time sent Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, begotten, not made, God, of, uh, God from God, light from light, true God of true God, who wrapped himself in human flesh, taking on the nature of a servant, living righteously before you, and dying in our place only to rise again. As we, in this season, look upon and remember the the birth of Jesus, a, a baby in a manger, would we be reminded and struck and in awe that before us is our King? So would you cause our hearts to worship and rejoice, even this morning? Would you help us? Would you teach us, Holy Spirit, from your word? In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. Uh, Welcome to the first Sunday in Advent. Uh, Advent is a season where we zero in on the significance of the incarnation. That is, where God the Son incarnated himself. That is, put on flesh to come and to dwell with us. Now, in the greater uh, ho- cultural holiday season. It's an odd combination, of, if you will, of Christmas songs about the birth of our Savior mixed with nostalgic songs about Christmases long, long ago. Right? Some of you have already begun singing them. Some of you are frustrated that um, some stations have already started playing this mix of Christmas songs. Uh, you, you put up decorations in your home. If you haven't yet already, you probably will over the next number of days or weeks that have the words joy and hope and peace on them. I have a few myself, right? And we could, we could get on our, on our issues of using Christmas in, instead of using Xmas, or we could get all up in arms about coffee cups um, being holiday-themed, but we're not going to do any of that. In this time that we have, we want to slow down and look at the significance of Jesus coming to us. And so to do that, we're going to look at it through the lens of Isaiah chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 9. Um, if you need a Bible, um, I don't know where some of our folks from our strike team are, but if, sorry, you're over here. That's fine. If you need a Bible, you can slip your hand up and some folks will put one in your hands so you can read along. It'll be on the screen as well. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And over the next four weeks, we're going to keep reading this passage. Uh, over and over again every week, and then we're going to kind of use it as a bridge to understand the different parts of what the prophet Isaiah was talking about when he was talking about Jesus, the significance of Jesus' incarnation for both the now, for us, and the the full and final hope we have in the, the not yet, the already and the not yet. Specifically, that Jesus is coming sets the stage for us to experience here in this life true joy, true hope, freedom from sin and oppression, 
and true and full peace here. Jesus coming to us offers us and gives us the possibility of experiencing these things. Joy and hope and peace here. And points to a greater and final fulfillment and fullness of joy and hope and peace in the life to come. It's a both and. So part of the reason we tend to culturally in this area and kind of where we're at get excited about holidays is because we need, we like and enjoy and need the light in the midst of darkness. You can't tell now because it's 1123. It's light out. But, but here's the reality. This time of year, it's usually dark when you leave the house in the morning. And it's dark when you come home at the end of the day. And so when we read Isaiah 9, starting in verse 2, there's, there are people, it says, who walk in darkness. And I think, oh, he's speaking about North Dakota. Because it's dark here. In fact, I actually chatted this week with a guy who lives in southern Ontario. That is uh, latitudinally, is that a word? Uh, latitudinally? No G in that. Anyway, they are further south than we are. And he lives in Canada. So go figure that geographical oddity out, right? So we live way up here in the dark. But a funny thing happens, and maybe you've experienced this. Usually it's in January or early February. You're sitting at your kitchen table or you're getting in the car to go somewhere early in the morning. And the sun comes up over the horizon. And because it's real flat around here, everything's the horizon. And, and, but the sun comes up over the edge and it just like stabs you in the eyes. Right? Has that happened to you? There's a photo I have that I took a number of years ago. Um, you can actually kind of feel this picture in the back of your eyes a little bit, can't you? Even though it's not actually stabbing you. If you've been in that scenario, you've been sitting in that room at that window or looking out the windshield and you can feel it. Right? The morning sun, like this, hurts our eyes, and it's a tangible, visceral reminder that our eyes have become accustomed and comfortable in the dark, which is why the light hurts so much. And that's the picture we want to paint for Advent, that Jesus comes like a light into our darkness. So we're going to take the next four weeks on the way to Christmas, looking at Isaiah 9, and letting Jesus break into our darkness just a little bit. Because my contention is that we've become far too comfortable in the dark. And Advent is an invitation to stare into the blinding light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. To let Jesus uh, hurt our eyes a little, if you will. To rejoice in all that's wrapped up in the promise of Him. So we're going to read our primary text for today and we'll be looking at a few others as well. We're going to This morning, we're going to read all of the passage, 1 through 7, and then we're going to look specifically at verses 1 and 2. We'll also be in Luke chapter 1 and in Revelation chapter 21 as kind of launching off points from this first chunk of Isaiah. So let's read our text from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder 
The rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. As I mentioned, we're going to focus on verses 1 and 2 as a jumping off point, if you will, to look specifically at the promise of Jesus in this passage and his fulfillment of it in two others. So our first idea out of these first two verses is there's a, a promise of light. On the back end of darkness, there's a promise of light. Uh, the second point this morning is that Jesus is the answer to that promise. Jesus is that light. And we'll look at Luke 1 a bit. And finally, that Jesus is the everlasting light. And just a quick glimpse into the end of our book, Revelation chapter 21. We'll look at each one in turn. So let's start with the first, the, the original premise. The promise given in Isaiah chapter 9. First, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. So there's this picture as we start Isaiah 9. If we just start in verse 1, of gloom and anguish. So we have to ask, okay, where does the gloom and anguish come from? Well, it comes from Isaiah chapter 8, which makes sense. 8 comes before 9. In Isaiah 8, the prophet Isaiah is warning that the nation of Assyria has been raised up as a judgment against Israel. What is coming for Israel is a season of dread and trouble because God's people refused to listen to what he had to tell them. Isaiah and those who are called the faithful are not to buy into myths and conspiracies, but to fear and trust the Lord and wait upon him. So they do in chapter 8, verse 22, the end of the the chapter says, they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. The, The context here is that the world broken by sin and rebellion, is a dark and gloomy place. And Israel is experiencing that firsthand. Liz talked about it uh, this morning, that the world that God created and said this was good has now been fractured and marred by sin. And there's this cycle of rebellion. And in this case, Isaiah is saying, there's going to be gloom and darkness for you. Chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The anguish that God's people have suffered, who have been walking in the dark. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And like much Old Testament prophecy, there is both historical, chronological fulfillment and a fulfillment yet to come. So in one sense, Isaiah is saying, this judgment from Assyria is not going to last forever. There will be light, proverbial light at the end of that tunnel. And Isaiah is speaking not just of that situation, but also of a greater light to come that's going to drive out a greater darkness. And we get to that as we continue through this passage. Verse 2, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. And this is going to be, this is the premise of what we're going to unpack as we go through the season of Advent in the coming weeks. Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Savior. 
He's saying that there's a Messiah coming, one called Jesus, who would save his people from their sins. Jesus was God's, prom- to God's, promised, God's promised Messiah to his people. And the picture he gives of what that promise kind of looks like is light in darkness. How do we know this? Well, using Scripture to understand Scripture. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And this is where if the promise in Isaiah is one of a coming light to drive out darkness, then we look to God's Word to help us understand who is he talking about. Luke chapter 1. At the end of chapter 1, verse 67, in this first chapter of, of, of Luke's Gospel, we read about someone named John. John the Baptist. John was the, the forerunner, the, the herald, the one who came before the, the Messiah to make way for the Messiah's arrival. Make way the path for the Lord was John's message out in front of Jesus. Now, Zechariah was John's father. Who was a, he was also a priest. We don't have time to get into the whole story, but John's birth was a miraculous one. You should read Luke 1 at the dinner table this week, especially the story of how John's birth was foretold. Zechariah is in the temple. And an angel of the Lord comes and says, Zechariah, you're going to have a son. He's going to be the forerunner to my Messiah. And Zechariah says, ah, what? I don't think it's going to happen. I'm old. My wife is old. And the angel of the Lord shuts Zechariah's mouth and doesn't allow him to speak until John is born. Look at verse 64. Uh, well, right before 64, verse 62. They made signs to his father inquiring, what should we name, him, what should we name your son? So the son is born and the family and friends and all who are around look at Zechariah and say, hey, what are we going to name your son? And he grabs out a writing tablet and writes, his name is John, and shows it to everyone in the room. And verse uh, 64 says, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Immediately upon his uh, response of faith, I'm going to believe what God tells me now, His mouth is loose and he blesses God. And this is what he blessed God with. This is what he prophesied. We're going to read the whole thing, verses 67 through 79. And John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, saying this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, and he's speaking about John, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Did you catch that? The mercy of God comes as a sunrise. To do what? To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah is saying that Jesus is the light that was coming into the world foretold by the prophets. The promise given to Abraham. 
The promise given to to David that one from his line would sit on the throne forever, that God would bring salvation and redemption, that he would deliver them from all their enemies, that God's people would serve the Lord without fear for all of their days. Now, there are way too many cross-references in my Bible in this little section, in these verses, uh, hearkening back to Old Testament prophecies that are being recognized and fulfilled as Zechariah is acknowledging them. I have 28 different lettered footnotes listed in my Bible in just this section. Each, and some of them have multiple references. So if I just want to encourage you, I don't know if you're in a Bible reading plan at all this week or yet this year or whatever, but if, if this week, reading through Luke chapter 1, take some time and just follow the cross-references, the Old Testament prophecies and promises that Zechariah is referencing here just in these few verses. He is rejoicing that all of God's promises are coming to fulfillment in Jesus. And he gets to, he's experiencing the, the first parts of that as John is born. This is how the Gospel of John speaks of Jesus coming into the world. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. It'll be on the screen. You can turn there if you'd like, but you don't have to. In the beginning, John says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Speaking of John the Baptist, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. We see the pattern here. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was coming into the world, a blasting of light into darkness. And I think sometimes we can shield ourselves from the brightness of Jesus, especially, especially in this Advent season. See, we can kind of hide as we remain Christmas-adjacent. Here's what I mean. We endure a little bit of festivity. We indulge our mom or our aunt by wearing that sweater that they got us. We attend that gathering and put on a smiley face and go to the office Christmas party, right? We, We sing along generically with both Bing Crosby and Mariah Carey in the car. We watch our favorite Christmas movies whether they're Elf or Die Hard. And yes, it is a Christmas movie. I had an argument for a service. Trust me. Right? We're just Christmassy enough to say, see, I've got the Christmas spirit. But ultimately what we're doing is we're, we're just hiding behind this veneer of holiday sometimes. Maybe we're unimpressed. Maybe we're just trying to get through it and endure a season like this. And there's lots of reasons for that. Sometimes... It's because the darkness of this season is legitimate. In this part of the world, we have a higher percentage of depression and seasonal affect issues and disorder than than people who live in, say, Arizona. Why? Because it's dark here. 
physically dark. And so we bear some of the gloom from just living in our, the context in which we live. For some, the holidays are hard because it's this time of year when we feel the weight of past loss. Holidays are hard when you've lost family or close friends because you're reminded in those times of their absence in the midst of maybe get-togethers with people or family time, right? And we feel this. I, I feel this. Thanksgiving this past weekend uh, was a wonderful time with, with our family. I had my brother and sister over and their families and my mom. It was great. And yet, there's this mix of both gratitude and grief because of loss. For some, maybe the holidays are hard because the effects of sin on your family means like four or five Christmases. And as a kid, you're like, sweet, four Christmases is more presents. But the reality is as you get just a little bit older, none of that really matters. You just want like one really meaningful time with your family, right? Rather than scattered dysfunctional times. Or maybe it's possible that you just are a Grinch. And I don't mean that your heart is three sizes too small. I just mean that it's a little hard. Like there's some, there's some legitimate hardness of heart and grumbling that just resides here in our hearts and causes us uh, to, to lack love and to lack joy, which actually needs to be repented of. But no matter the reason, there's a deep spiritual heart reality here that I want to just press on briefly. Because that there is something legitimate to rejoice in when we consider Jesus, or at least there should be. And the challenge for us is not to, to drift into the cynicism surrounding family gatherings, to not get hung up on cheesy music, or, or the cashier who says happy holidays instead of saying Merry Christmas. Like, by all means, say Merry Christmas to everyone you want. But let's be aware of drifting into the comfort and nostalgia of Christmas and Jesus in the manger and conveniently ignoring that Jesus came to blow up our darkness, to actually deal with the darkness. In the subtitle to, our, to the series for Advent, The Weary World Rejoices, we stole that line from the carol, O Holy Night, which we just sang a minute ago. It was originally a French poem written in 1843, later set to music, reflecting on and rejoicing in the birth of Jesus as the redemption for humanity. And the line is found in the second half of verse 1, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. There is reason, and many, many reasons, why we would be weary, why the world might be dark. All the things I mentioned and dozens more. But for fear of sounding remarkably cliche, can I just say that Jesus is the light who has come to break into our darkness and meet us in our weariness. And so for us, as we come to Advent, there is cause to rejoice. Why? Because while we might not be standing in the full light of day, yet we can see that dawn has broken and light has come. And if you've been a believer in Jesus for a while, you've, you've heard this. And yet I, I fear that you and I are most at risk of missing the significance of Advent. You and I suffer from the curse of familiarity, where Christmas becomes a nostalgic ritual. Now, nostalgia is not bad. Mem remembering isn't bad. It's intended to point to something good, right? A fond memory 
Something worth holding on to because of what it signifies. Not the thing itself, but what it means, what it points to. And I think we can counter this by when we see the manger scene that we set up in our homes or we see out in the world around us with the likely culturally incorrect figures. We look not at the figures themselves, but are reminded that Jesus came into our world not just to cause us to have these warm, happy feelings, but to call us out of darkness, to be a light in that darkness so that everything from this point forward is now different for us. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, or maybe you're not sure, can I just say this really clearly? That Jesus is the one you're looking for. Jesus is the light for your darkness and the strength for your weakness and your weariness. Now, I'm not saying that all of our circumstances immediately get better, because they don't, or that some of our struggles don't remain, because they do, but that you're not alone in them. You're no longer without hope. That shame and guilt no longer defines who you are. Jesus came, as Zechariah prophesied, to redeem, to call us out of sin and by repentance and faith to find true light and life in him. This is the reminder of Advent. This is why he came. We can have this hope now, and we should. And much like how Old Testament prophecy speaks to the situation now and something greater to come, so does Jesus' arrival at Advent. We live on this side of Advent. Christ has already come into the world, has accomplished all of the Father's will, has ascended back to heaven, and now we live here between his first Advent, his coming to us, and his second Advent, him coming again. So Jesus is not only the light in our darkness, but is also an everlasting light, which is our third and final point this morning from Revelation chapter 21. You can turn there again if you'd like as well. It'll be on the screen. But Revelation 21 gives us a, a glimpse of the new heaven and the new earth. If Isaiah 9 was the, the promise of a light to come, Revelation gives us a picture of the fulfillment of that light. There's a picture in Revelation 21 of a new heavens and a new earth. All of creation now has been redeemed and renewed. And a new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven where God will dwell with his people forever. That's the, the picture here in Revelation 21. And we can read about foundations and walls and gates fashioned with gold and precious jewels. And starting in verse 22, the Apostle John, who's writing this down for us, says this, And I saw in this city, no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. Verse 23, And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This eternal city has no need for a sun or a moon because the glory of God is its light. And at the end of verse 23, the lamp is the lamb. It was John the Baptist who called out as Jesus came towards him, Behold, the lamb of God. So this dawn 
that has begun with Jesus entering our world at the first advent will be fully and finally realized in the light and the glory of the Lamb with us and us with Him forever. And so our hope in this season is to stir up in us a fresh sense of rejoicing. That we would sing with greater intensity some of the familiar songs and carols, not out of emotionalism, but because we're reading the lyrics with fresh eyes. That when we sit down at tables and feast, we would do so with greater gratitude because in spite of all the challenges and hardships that we face in Jesus, we do have access to an abundance of joy that is an anchor for us no matter our circumstances. That we would be filled with greater hope because in spite of our own failings, we are no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free in Christ and that we would experience a deep and abiding peace. That no matter our trouble or turmoil, both internal and external, that we would know with confidence that although in this world we will have trouble, that Jesus, our Lamb, our light, has overcome the world. So can I encourage us to be willing to stare into the light of the glory of Jesus this Advent, to not be easily distracted or ho-hum about a tiny figurine of Jesus in a manger. But what it represents is that Jesus has come into our darkness to call us out of that darkness that we've been too comfortable in and to call us to rejoice. That's our hope this Advent. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you did indeed send Jesus Christ the Son to be a light in our darkness, to be peace in our strife, to give us joy in our sadness. Would you give us fresh eyes to see Jesus and in seeing him, be changed. As we come to the table, would you, Holy Spirit, be at work to convict, to remind us of forgiveness, to assure us of your mercy, and to beckon us back into the light. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.